0: Welcome to the Get to Vet podcast, where we bridge the knowledge gaps in the military transition process so you can focus on what's ahead.
1: Hey, Get to Vet listeners, this is Mike, and now for my personal disclaimer. Although I am active duty military, I'm not an official spokesperson of the United States Navy. Any of my views expressed on the Get to Vet podcast, or based on my personal experience thanks for listening
0: hey there get to bet this is trevor wax yeah this is the second time of day i've screwed my name up on the intro
1: that is two for two that oh is outstanding.
0: <laughs> anyways i'm trevor maxwell and i'm not even going to use a lot of words to introduce the other guy
1: <laughs> and i'm mike riggs <laughs>
0: <laughs> and so today we've got an awesome guest um She is a fellow volunteer. We volunteer in a lot of the same organizations. And like me, she's also a great white shark enthusiast, Brage Garofalo. And Brage, I'll let you go ahead and introduce yourself.
2: So hi, my name is Brage Garofalo and I currently live in San Francisco with my husband and my dog. You can probably hear her in the background because the mailman is making his rounds. Um, And I have been involved in, in the veteran transition space for a little over nine years. Um, And I do volunteer with um, quite a few organizations, um, including um, the Navy Special Operations Foundation and uh, the Honor Foundation, as well as others like ACP and um, eMentor.
1: Yeah, I I, got to tell you, before we started this, probably for the last day or two, I was going to make up this story about a whole different name for you and that you grew up in Topeka, Kansas, and that you had this political science degree from like Kansas state and, but your background and your story and, and the, your biography and how you bounced around the country and where you came from. It, it, it's amazing how you got to where you're at. And I think it, it'd be awesome if you just go through some of that on where you came from, where you were raised and things like that's a phenomenal story because It's almost, uh, and and I'm like, you know, it's kind of like Bradley Cooper in The Hangover, where it's like, how did I end up here? Which is kind of like some days I feel like uh, coming to the end of my 30-year Navy career, it's like, holy cow, cow, I I don't know how I ended up here, but I did. How you ended up over in San Francisco uh, doing open water swims and doing oncology research is insane. But it's it's a phenomenal story. And I think it has a lot of parallels with, you know, some veteran transition, you know, in the mindset that you had to get where you're at.
2: So my my story. So, yeah, there was no nothing about it being a straight line at all. I started out my undergrad is in magazine journalism. Um, so I started out as a writer, um, worked as an editor, started a magazine with a friend of mine. Where we did some really fun interviews. So I got to interview the Mighty Mighty Boss Tones, which was like my dream interview. I interviewed um, Ziggy Marley. And at the time, you know, I was still like fresh out of college. So I mean, I wasn't, I didn't know how to prepare for an interview of that magnitude. Um, And I still think about it and cringe because a lot of my questions were around his dad, obviously. And I wish that I had spent more time focusing on him. Um, but you know, live and learn. Right. Um, and then, so I, that was in Boston, I went to school and then I decided that, you know, I've been fascinated by great white sharks all my life. And so then I decided that I wanted, um, to, to go into, um, marine biology to, um, to ensure their preservation because everybody has this, this mentality of sharks that they are evil and they're man-eaters and they're going to attack you. And the reality is so far from the truth. And yes, there are shark attacks. Um, and every so often there are, and you'll see this more with younger younger sharks, like the, the quote unquote teenagers, where they're a little bit more aggressive because like, like kids, they're trying to figure out what their boundary is. And so it's really fascinating, but people don't take that into account because the media likes to scare the crap out of everybody all the time. You know, they make it sound like, you know, the, the shark is, is the predator and that's not necessarily always the case, but they're treated as such. And so that was where I was going with that, um, with research in marine biology. And so I had applied to, um, to marine biology programs out here in California And I got a verbal acceptance, like, yes, we would love to have you. You meet all the requirements. All you need to do is apply, and then we'll go from there. And I'm like, that's great. So I literally packed up my car, drove cross-country, and then applied. And keep in mind, I didn't have a backup plan. Like, it was, you know, either it was like ride or die. And um, as you can tell now, I did not get into the program. Um, And so I'm like, hmm, plan B. And so I, I still wanted to do research and ended up getting into pharmaceutical research and biotech. And then I decided to go back to school to get my master's in counseling psychology. And so that's where I really um, kind of got into, to the type of research that I do. Um, Cause I was, while I was getting my degree in counseling psych, I was working for two oncologists, not two oncologists, two psychologists that we're doing research on newly diagnosed women with um, any kind of um, gynecologic cancer, and whether or not including psychotherapy as part of their treatment plan made any difference in the treatment outcome. And so we did find that incorporating um, psychotherapy as part of the overall treatment plan does make a difference because now these patients have somewhere to go where either if they're in group therapy, so they're talking with people who really understand what they're going through and can be supportive and offer supportive guidance, or if they're working one-on-one, now they've got some place where they can dump all their garbage while they're focusing on their treatment. And so that was kind of the bug with, with research and with oncology. Um, and so it, my career in research and biotech has kind of progressed from there.
1: So that's a, that's an amazing, you know path in a, in a journey that that you know it, it does parallel the things that, that we do too i mean we, you just never you just never know where you're going to end up and like you just you like you described you took basically it was a no fail mission i'm just going to pack my car up and i'm going to cross the country and i want to figure this out you know and you made it happen that's awesome and, and it's great and i do have a personal Passion for the research you that you're doing. I mean, I, I lost my mom to a, a very similar uh, cancer and, and that's a, a, a passion that I have for, for your research and I applaud you for that and, and continue to take that research and, and that study down down the field for others to, uh, to, uh, and, you know, to reap Thanks. the advances from.
2: Oh, I'm sorry about your mom. Thank you. I, I don't think there's anybody who hasn't been touched by cancer. I mean, my family tree is riddled with it I've lost over the last three years. I've lost, I think, four friends. I mean, it's just—it's like the treatment landscape can't keep pace with with the disease. But we're trying every day. We try.
1: Yeah, they're doing so much better. I mean, even I lost my mom in 1997, and they're just doing so much better. But there's so much better to do. Yeah. Um, it's, uh,
0: I, I've, I've known tons of people that have had, and I've been lucky enough, <laughs> knock on wood. Um, I mean, it's kind of a concern of mine because, you know, something that Mike and I have seen is a lot of guys that we've worked with um, and have deployed to a lot of the same places that we have, have also started developing some of these. One of which, um, I won't say his name on here, but a guy had, I think it was, was three separate types of cancer. And like he, his case like stumped the Mayo clinic. Um, they just had no idea what to do. And, you know, so here's all these guys that, you know, gave it their all and they come back and, and find out that they have that. And it's it's tough. I mean, I've, I've known tons of people who have beaten it. Um, but still, I know that's that's a scary, scary thing. Um, and it's one of those things serious? too, you
1: know, you're, 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 a, you know, you're raised like, like, especially in our fields in our career fields where we, it's very hard for us to say, oh, you know, that hurts or, you know, this is something's wrong with us or, you know, it's hard for us to, cause we spent years masking injuries and pushing through pain and, and never wanting to take a knee for anything and sometimes that's very detrimental especially when we're talking about these types of things and Trevor and I have had this discussion off you know offline like hey we really need to be careful about these things cuz our exposure to burning vehicles and burning trash and yeah. exposure to uh, radiation and and other those types of things that we have specifically been exposed to during our occupation as, as explosive ordnance disposal technicians i mean we we really have to be conscious about those things and and not be conscious of the symptoms, but, and definitely not tough it, tough it out.
2: I've actually been learning a lot about that through the Hunter 7 Foundation, um, and the, the really great work and research that they've been doing. And so I've been trying to educate myself on that as well. Cause it's, yeah, I mean, that's, I can't even imagine the, the types of cancer and the fact that you have a, a friend where they had, you know, three different types of cancers. Um, which could potentially be a result from, you know, their exposure while they were in theater. It's, it's very terrifying.
1: Yeah. And we had a lot of there when we were, when you were working at seventh group Trevor and I was visiting you guys down there when I was the command master chief, there was some of those guys that were saying the uh, the more senior enlisted folks, uh, the sergeant majors were uncommon rates of cancer in those folks. And they were, Potentially, and I think there's been some remediation for it as well now with the ventilation and stuff in the, uh, we call them kill houses, the CQB, CQB houses, close quarter battle houses. And
0: with lead abatement,
1: the, I think is what yeah, they call it. Yeah, lead abatement. Yeah, with the, when you fire uh, small arms, it gives off you know fumes and things like that that gets, if it's not vented people, you know, they breathe it in. And and I think that was remaining in their bloodstream and getting, you know, having an adverse effect. And if you continue to, you know, ingest that amount over and over and over again, after doing days after days, after days of those house runs that that those guys were doing and we're supporting them, but not doing as many as they're doing. I mean, and you're doing that for a career of 20 or 30 years, they were having a, a, an increased rate of those folks with, uh, those types of cancers and it wasn't good those guys were it's
2: crazy in
1: their 40s a, a lot of them yeah well it's
0: something that's always in the back of my head i'll, I'll tell you that much
2: but well this I is think uplifting
0: it, yeah
1: yeah no, we <laughs> didn't want to we didn't we want did. to turn this into a, a show on <laughs> on medical stuff but that might be uh, a adverse. good one to, to tackle here in the future though yeah, no kidding
0: all right let's let's get back on track bridge uh what's your favorite um Great white shark on the O-Search tracker.
2: Are you a Mary Lee or Catherine? I forget her name, but she's like ginormous. Is it Mary Lee? I'll have to look for her. She's ginormous. And I think at the time that I saw her, I don't know if she was pregnant or not, but like just crazy, ginormously huge. And so she's my favorite.
0: Yeah. I, I remember, I don't know if you have the app or not, but I was looking at one and they had one it was a great i think it was like one of the the early ones like mary lee or catherine was inside the pamlico sound like on the landward side of of the outer banks and i was like because yeah, I used to go a, paddle boarding out there
2: i, I love the, that app that tracks all the sharks
0: yep that's good
2: like, where's waldo <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs>
0: Well, dark. that. Would, uh, <laughs> Now that we got onto a more positive note, um, so you also do coaching, and I think like your experiences, like making those big life changes like that, are probably pretty beneficial to you being able to, you know, help somebody else who's who's transitioning out of the military because that's that's basically what it is. Um, You know, we just get a lot of attention because we're in the military, but I mean you know, we've been kind of coddled because we have like a very intensive support structure. And I think that's good that you, you know, somebody like you with the experiences you've had are out there like saying, Hey, this is not as bad as you think it is. So how did you get into coaching?
2: Um, by accident. So I, so much of my career has been by accident and kismet, like it's anyway, I won't go down that rabbit hole, but I, so I started out with THF, I don't know, like three and a half, four years ago, volunteering with, um, Phil Dana, who at the time was the VP of people ops. And so he was just, um, in the early stages of building out the mentor program. And so I started to work with him to really build it out, you know, based on his and and Joe Musselman's vision. And then when Phil left, I kind of took it over, um, and just managed it and so I worked with a lot of the the fellows not just matching them with mentors but also as as an interim mentor for them as well and so over the course of time I felt like I was kind of coaching so then I, when I was approached to to ask or you know to be a coach I was like well okay and and so it's not it's not it's a little bit of like mentoring and counseling and um, a little bit of cheerleading. And, you know, just making sure that the fellow or the service member knows that, like, I've got my hand on your back. I'm behind you. I'm, I'm supporting you. You've got this. Um, And so it's a, it's a little bit of, of all of that. And so that's kind of how I got into it. Is it just, it was like a natural progression.
0: Yeah. That's, I mean, I was kind of the same way I, I had volunteered. I went in and did some of the, Sat in for some of the courses they did at the Virginia beach campus. And then, uh, Sue, who was there, I think she was a director of people at the time I met her and, and Janie
2: Sandy
0: or Sandy. Yeah. Sandy Sue. Well, I met Sue too. Sue, man, she actually lives in my neighborhood. Um, she's also another coach there, but, um, yeah, they just one day out of the blue, they were like, Hey, w- would you be interested? Like you've come to all these events and stuff. Would you be interested in coaching? And I was like, uh, yeah, I mean, I don't really know what I'm doing, but I'll, <laughs> I'll, I'll give it my best shot. And
2: but you do know, cause you've been there.
0: Yeah. And I, I kind of realized that afterwards, it was one of those, you know, like we say all the time on here, Hey man, don't, don't pass by an opportunity just because you don't, necessarily know what it is. Like I always like that, say yes and learn how to do it later.
2: I was just thinking that same thing.
0: (laughs) Right. And so I did, and I'll tell you what I did. I did what we tell all the fellows to do when they're going through the honor foundation. I went out and I had a bunch of cups of coffee with other coaches and got all their perspective. I talked to Sue who lives, you know, down the street from me, Um, Janine, you know, just all these different coaches Um, Janie, I talked to her a lot. I was like, Hey, I'm going to be hitting you up a lot this first time coaching, because I, you know, I want to make sure that I'm, I'm doing them, you know, doing my due diligence for the, for the person I'm coaching. And so, you know, I was kind of, you know, I was apprehensive, but I got into it and I was like, Oh, this is great. I think the other part of that too, is I had a, a mentee who was very engaged, the guy was reaching out to me three or four times. He's like, Hey man, I'm so sorry. I keep bothering you. I'm like, no, that's, that's what I'm here for. Right. I, I, I actually like this and it's great. Like we, you know, built that relationship and I still talk to him, you know, all the time, at least once a month, but he's, he's retired. He kind of went out and, and found an opportunity for himself. And, you know, I moved on and did another one and I still, you know, it's, it's just very cool. And I'll tell you this, like, for me, like that fulfillment that I get out of, like, you know, knowing that I helped somebody like through something that was really difficult for me, that's, you know, to me, that's worth a hundred thousand dollars right there.
2: That's awesome. Because what you, what you bring to them is absolutely invaluable. And, uh,
0: you know, have them tell me that they're like, Hey, you know, I'm, I'm really glad that you were there to kind of help me answer questions and give me feedback on stuff. And you know, I, that, that was some of the stuff that I didn't have when I went through transition. And so now I, I am very proactive about, you know, when Mike was, was get, he's like, yeah, I think I'm going to get out. I was like, well, let me introduce you to this person and this person and this person. And, you know, I still do that all the time now. Like, I, I think it works great. You know, in my other work as a financial advisor, because if I talk to somebody and they're like, well, you know, I don't really know what I'm doing with this. it's funny I just kind of go into coach mode and start saying like have you done this 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 I made this checklist here take this go through it and it's funny they're like I just came to talk to you about life insurance and I'm like well you're (laughs) gonna get that and a little bit more Um, and that's
2: what makes it so invaluable is that not only do you have all of this experience but you can literally speak their language and say this is what I learned from my transition. This is what worked. This is what didn't work. This is where I stepped in it. Don't go over there and make sure you're thinking and planning in this way. I mean, that's invaluable information, guidance, support that no matter how long I've been doing this, I don't have that kind of insight. And like you don't ever discount that because that is, that's gold.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think maybe on the other side of the table, you know, having that mentor, that coach has been great for me. My coach, he's up in uh, D.C. Uh, I I don't think I've been uh, very high maintenance for him. Usually we just call and BS on Mondays. He's going through uh, finishing up his MBA right now. So I try to be pretty low maintenance for him fortunately for me using this as a educational forum, I did commit prior to honor foundation. So it kind of, I had the training wheels on or training wheels off probably before I got to honor foundation on some of the things we were going to cover. So, and not to mention, I'm not the four year guy getting out, probably as people could see if they were, could see the video or know me personally. Uh, So it's a little different with me and I've, I think my coach and I have developed a decent relationship of, you know, sometimes I'm mentoring him on some things, you know, I think I've, he was looking at his, uh, you know, not appealing. What was the, uh, it's not the appeal for VA claim. He's looking at amending it. it. He's looking at amending his VA claim. So I was helping him through some of that process and and we were talking that out. And so I think we've, we've really helped each other and, and, pretty sure we're going to continue to, you know, maintain that relationship even once the honor foundation and the graduation is over with. So it's a great, it's a great thing.
2: That's awesome. And you can always poach a coach too. So there's if there's other coaches that have different backgrounds or different types of experience, plug into them as well. Cause that kind of goes into the building your tribe and building your your own personal board of directors. I'm just going to dive right into that because this is my very very special happy place is that everybody brings something different to the table different lens different experience different perceptions um and you you should take advantage of all of it and then take what you need and but but always have those people that you really trust you know as as part of your tribe where you know they'll tell you what you need to hear, not what you want to hear. You don't need someone blowing smoke up your skirt. You need somebody that's going to say, you need to be thinking about this and don't worry about that. And have you thought about this? And that's just all about, you know, having the right people in your corner, you know, no matter what they've done.
1: And that's a tough thing to do from a service member's perspective to break out of your comfort zone and break out of your shell and be able to, I guess, be emotionally and mentally naked to allow a lot of that feedback because I'll tell you, doing those interviews, those mock interviews last week, you know, and and, and and having to listen to some of that feedback is like, okay, all right, yeah. Time to just eat some humble pie here because they're going to let you have it and you just better it's better to listen up and take notes and, and get better because this, this is what you got to do. And you better have that talk with yourself or be ready to have that talk with yourself because that's the only way it's going to get better. And, and those folks that are on the, on those panels, they're industry experts or they wouldn't be there. And so, I mean, in the same thing, when you go out and you reach out for those mentors, it would be easy for me to just, you know, hang out and, ask Trevor things all the time or ask hes you know, the guy lives right behind me in, in our neighborhood. He's a retired EOD master chief. I could talk to him about things, but that's easy. You know, I need to get out there and, and get in that mentor network and those cups of coffee that the honor foundation provides. And just, I mean, literally roll dice and and pick a name and a number and an industry that I absolutely Have no idea or don't want to even get into, and just hear their perspective because you need to have somebody else who's going to look at it from a different lens and give you that honest feedback.
2: And don't necessarily think that just because it's in an industry that you're not interested in that you're not going to learn something because people know people who know people. So you know we may you know some one somebody from THF might connect you with somebody in banking. Well, you have no interest in banking but they know people who know people in other industries and in other fields and other positions that you might be interested in. So the more that they get to know you, then, you know, their wheels will start turning. And, you know, the other piece is that, you know, when you're talking to people, you don't necessarily have to like bear your soul in the first conversation. I mean, all of that takes time as you're building the trust and building the relationship. So, you know, when I first um, started working with, um, with, Phil Dana, for example, like early on, like, I'm not going to bear my soul to him, but as we started to work together, you know, over a period of time, I felt more comfortable talking with him. So as things came up, I can, I knew that I could trust him and talk to him and kind of work things through, you know, by thinking out loud with him um, and that he would provide me with, you know, legit feedback that, you know, I needed to consider. So, you know, I mean, as you're going the way of, of looking to build your, your mentor tribe over the course of your life and your career, it's going to be a gradual thing. It's not going to be all at once and, and nor should it be because not everybody deserves a seat at your table, but it's t- a, it just happens over time. And you as the chairman, you get to decide who you let in.
1: And a great thing to your point, I mentioned it on the last episode, but I'm going to bring it up again. I talked about Uh, an interview my first mock interview last week they threw a guy in last second from verizon and i'm like i had the complete bias of i do not why talking to verizon great i have i want nothing to do with verizon verizon wireless other than to go buy a cell phone and then i started talking to the guy who was giving me the mock interview the guy had been in the army for seven years. He was an army musician. So we started connecting there and then he was in the fraud prevention for the Verizon Corporation. And I thought, well, that's, that's very interesting. I didn't, I, you know, okay, well, I guess you would have something like that in a corporation like that. And he started explaining to me what exactly that was and that role that he had in that corporation. And, and it ended up being a very, really cool conversation, um, you know, along with the interview and I would have never, never, ever would have explored Verizon and ended up, you know, connecting with the guy on LinkedIn and, you know, giving him my resume and everything. So See? it's one of those things that you just never know until you go, until you go there.
2: Right. I think, exactly. uh,
0: yeah, so that's, that's a good thing. Okay. Maybe to dig into a little bit is when, what happens when you shift your perspective, right? Because Funny story, Brage, like you, I, when I was uh, a kid, I wanted to be a marine biologist. I always said marine biologist because I couldn't say biologist, but you know, so when you found out that that didn't, wasn't going to pan out for you, you were like, oh, well, damn it. What do I, what do I do now? Like how, that's a big thing, right? (laughs) Because you're expecting this to happen. And then you see this thing over here and you're like, could you, could you maybe talk a little bit about that?
2: Um, so I, there were, there were two factors that contributed to me, not pursuing marine biology. One is I didn't get into the program. Um, and I, I could have pursued it further if I really, really wanted it. Um, but the second was, is, um, I was having my own cups of coffee with different marine biologists and, um, that specialized in sharks and great whites. And I had one meeting with a very, with a world renowned, Um, Marine biologist at the Academy of Sciences here in San Francisco. And he was wonderful. I was, how and why he made time for me, I have no idea because like I'm a nobody, right? But he made time to talk with me. And the bottom line came down to, I'm gonna be competing for grants against people like him. Well, he has published hundreds of of articles. His research is well-known, he's well-known. So if they're going to decide on a grant to some nobody, and this guy, well, he's going to get it every time. And he's like, essentially, you're going to be living in a house with probably six other marine biologists, because you're living grant to grant. And you're going to be competing against people like me. And he's like, I don't mean to sound, you know, like a jerk. He's like, but that's the reality. You need to know what you're getting into. And so you know, having been in college and then after college living paycheck to paycheck, I'm like, yeah, I don't want to do that my whole life. Like I don't want six roommates. I had one roommate and that was bad enough. So, you know, so then I had to kind of go back and hit the reset button and think, okay, so what am I going to do? How is this going to work? What is my, my life path going to look like? And then, you know, I just kind of made that, that switch of, all right, well, counseling, I'm, you know, I do that. Know anyway by talking to people because people would come talk to me about like random things. Um, so just a sidebar to that, this is a funny story. So when I was in high school, um, I worked at the um at our beach and I was sitting up at the the top of the because you have to walk down a ramp to get to the beach. So I'm sitting at the picnic table up top and some woman comes over and she sits down in front of me across from me on the, the bench and I'm like, Hi, how are you today? and she says, I'm at this point in my life where I'm trying to decide if I want to stay in my marriage or not. Okay. I'm 18 years old. What do you do with that? But you know, I mean, she clearly wanted to talk. So we sat down and we had a conversation about whether she should stay or go. So those are the kind of random things that happen. So I'm like, well, counseling makes sense. And so then I looked into that. And then that was kind of my, my pivot.
1: Well, see, that was in Chicago and that you, you could have been Oprah right there. You know, she got her start in Chicago. She was from Chicago, wasn't she? And you could have, you could have just started right there. You could have been
2: a missed opportunity. Man,
1: oh man.
2: <laughs> yeah, Things we could have done. Could have, but did not.
0: <laughs> yeah. That's, I guess it's, it's unfortunate that, you know, not uh, that's, a, I guess it's, it's cool that you were able to talk to that guy and, and get the candor from him too, because I, I think, like when sometimes people try to you know shoot protect somebody's feelings a little bit but for him to be able to 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 have the integrity to say that i know some people will be like well he sounds like a pompous ass but i think of that as like whoa that's that's really cool that he was able to sit down and say that to you um because even if he did sound like a jerk that doesn't make it any less true like you know how how are you going to compete against a guy like that. Cause you, you know, not everybody gets to sh- star on shark week. Um, I, I was just th- thinking about that as you were talking about it, like, man, I, I guess that's a perspective I had never considered uh, before, but it sounds like that, that chance encounter that you had uh, really kind of led you down to a, another path that it, it seems like you've enjoyed so far.
2: I I, I love what I do. I derive so much pure unadulterated joy when I'm on the phone with one of my guys that I'm, I'm mentoring or one of the women that I'm working with. And it's just, they're so hungry to learn. And, you know, to your point, you know, I learn just as much from them, if not more than I think that they're learning from me. Because, you know, when you serve in the military, your life experiences run the gamut. So I mean, not only are you pulling in your experience from just, you know, growing up to the point where you got to the military, but then your entire career has been a series of change and pivots and growth and development and um, interactions that, you know, the majority of the population will never be able to understand. And that really helps to to shape how you think, how you approach different problems and scenarios and your relationships. And it's just, it just makes the relationship that I have with the fellows and the mentees just so much more dynamic and meaningful. So, I mean, it's, I, I love it.
0: I can relate. Yeah, I'm I'm in the same boat as you.
1: Yeah, I think it it's, it reminds me of like when we were speaking with John McCaskill and he's talking about what he was wanting to do, you know, before he's I think it was right when he was beginning on our foundation and he's talking about doing you know commercial real estate or finance or something like that and then he's talking to those folks in that industry and he decides eh, not for me, either one of those, uh, they weren't for me. Just based on the, the energy that he felt talking to those folks that just wasn't going to, that wasn't him. And then he, he pivoted to the nonprofit side. And then now he's getting, he's into basically coaching is what he's doing. Coaching, consulting and mentoring folks, but that was his calling. And you never would have found that in the commercial real estate or the finance world, not so where at the you scale that he's go? doing. Uh, I'm, I'm actually, right now, I'm, I'm uh, doing the skill bridge with uh, executive coaching, mentoring. and um, But I'm, I'm truly, a, I'm a tech nerd, and I love problem solving. When I worked up in the Senate, uh, working for the senator from Florida, uh, 50-50 chance on which one that was. But uh, I love <laughs> the space side of things because I got to do a lot of the commercial space, even though that wasn't in a portfolio, just because the defense side uh, does have a lot to do with commercial space. I got to nerd out a lot on that. And the guy that I work with really afforded me uh, a lot of opportunities to nerd out on space. And I got to go tour a lot of the Cape and, and see how that industry is just booming. And actually it's ironic that we're talking about that because this morning there was a launch uh, they, they sent four of them up in a, in a dragon capsule on a SpaceX rocket this morning. It launched from the Cape and I just turned it on this morning and it launched right around six this morning, uh, Eastern time. And I remember a couple of days ago on the news, the, the weather guys like, yeah, you might be able to see the launch if the weather's just right. So I watched it launch from the pad. And for some reason I decided I'll open up my blinds and I look out and I'm like, yeah, sky's pretty blue. Um, the sun's just coming up. I wonder if there's a chance I could see the rocket. I walk right out my front door. I look to the South and I can see the dragon capsule with the, it, I can't see the capsule obviously, but I just see a trail of smoke and, or a, a, a fireball streaking across the sky going South to North. And it's that capsule that launched from Florida. And I'm just That's like, a, I'm like a 10 year old kid just in my, in my Crocs. and <laughs> <laughs> and completely nerding out at, at at six o'clock in the morning like I'm a ten year old boy, and, and that's just—I'm I'm really passionate about that kind of nerd tech stuff and and just finding solutions. And I, I'm the person that cannot stand working for an organization that says, "Mike, this is just the way we've always done it, so this is the way we have to do it." I, I just—I can't do that. I'll I'll just stay retired from the military if I have to do that
2: and live so then within where, my means. In- where do you want to go after you finish your, your skill bridge? Like, what are you, what are you looking at for, for your next, your next adventure?
1: Geography or industry or both? Anything. Uh, I, I, defense is the easy button, uh, just because that's what I know, but I'm also the Gallup strengths, you know, nerd out about that. I'm the learner as well. I mean, we talked about that on a previous episode, um, but I love – I'm a book nerd, so I like the tech side of things. I, I like connecting the dots, so I think I fit probably better in small to medium tech areas or someplace like that where it's not the same thing every day and there's a problem that I could come and solve. And, you know, I, I that's just where I, – I, I don't – I think that's where I could really excel and have fun and and not have to set my alarm clock any day. And then they they have to kick me out on Fridays to make me go home.
2: I can hear the excitement in your voice when you talk about it.
1: Yes. Yeah. I I just, it's, it's fun. And I, and I was so fortunate to get the the chance to be exposed to that up in DC from a constituent perspective. It was eye-opening to see that there's just it's not just fortune 500 companies. It's, there's actually really a lot of small businesses and mom and pop stuff that actually do really important work. And, and those are really the ones that are making things happen. It's not, it's not really the fortune 500 companies. There's so many other small businesses around, you know, the United States and across the world, but primarily the constituents I I talked with were from Florida and just to meet those folks and see, it was eye opening, and it just oh, you make that. Well, what does that go with? Oh, that goes into that, and then that goes into that, and it's just, and that's what they do. It's fascinating. That's and you awesome. would go and, and you would visit them in Tampa or or Orlando, or and it's it's an amazing organization.
2: So, Trevor, how did you go from the military into financial being a financial advisor?
0: Um, that's why I I told the story the last podcasts were recorded too i was uh i went to go see a financial advisor um that was recommended to me a guy who worked with a lot of seals and eod techs and i went in and sat down and we started chatting and realized that we had gone to school together, high school together he lived like right over the hill from me over yonder down there in west virginia and uh just through the the course of us chatting and in these meetings he's like hey you seem like you like this stuff cause he was like, what do you want to do? And I was like, I I honestly don't know what I want to do. I just know that I don't want to work for the government and I would like to do something where I can still do some, some good for the folks that are continue to go downrange." And he was like, Hey, well, I mean, maybe you should come work with me. And he was half joking about it. And I left that meeting talking to my wife about it. And she's like, yeah, I think you would like that. And I was like, Oh, okay. So I took a chance, did it. Um, got out i i think for me i didn't really have a good understanding when i got out of like what what makes somebody successful in the the financial services industry and so my first couple of years i didn't do i was happy i liked what i was doing i liked kind of the independence you know i didn't really have a boss um but you know, I was like, all right, eventually this is going to have to be something that's a profitable venture for me. And so when I kind of got an idea of like, I had my aha moment I was like, Oh, okay. I've been focusing on the wrong shit the whole time. Right. I need to focus on this shit over here. And I'm just trying to meet our potty words requirement for the podcast. But (laughs) anyways, I, I went and, uh, reconnected with, with a guy that I work with now who I had known Scott Tucker and, and I had run into him at a networking event a few months before. And he's like, yeah, he's like, I, I need other financial advisors, um, to help me, you know, do handle what I, what I've got now. And so I just, it's funny. Like when people ask me about job interviews, I'm like, don't ask me, I'm like the worst." person to ask about job interviews because my first job interview was like maybe you should come work with me and I said (laughs) okay yeah and I called the guy back and he was like oh I mean I was half joking but okay and then my second job interview was like hey do you still need other advisors And he's like yeah he's like why are you interested and I was like yeah and so (laughs) those were essentially my two job interviews um so I'm sure if I went into a uh you know, a real, just a regular job interview now, I'd probably, they'd be like, who's this asshole? Cause I'd be like, yeah, I just, I figured I'd come work with you guys.
2: (laughs) I would prep you.
0: Yeah. No, I I think I would probably be okay. Cause I understand like how to communicate my value and, and all that stuff. Like that ties in with a lot of things like marketing and personal branding, right? I know how to tell a story about myself. Who I am and and what I want to do and where I want to go. Um, but that's how I got into the industry. And then when I, you know, I had that step where I learned the foundation, like, hey, here's all the basic stuff about the job you need to know. And then I was able to take that next step and start learning, like, here's what's going to make you, you know, that person that you're going to be part of the 5% that makes it past their second year in the industry, because that's, you know that's a the the cold hard truth. Like a lot of those companies recruit military people, Northwestern Mutual and and Mass Mutual and and all the big companies that everybody knows. They they do recruit a lot of military because I think they they realize like, hey, that's a job that maybe you would like. Um, but just very few of them don't don't really make it past that first year or second year because it's it's one of those like hey, you're basically a great white shark now. You got to go out and catch your own sea lions, right? And they just don't know how to do that. And it, it gets to the point where it's like, hey, I still have to support my family. I was in a position where I have, I also have multiple income streams too, right? I have real estate investments and I have my pension and VA disability. So I was lucky enough to where I didn't care that I didn't make a lot of money that first couple of years. I just really liked what I was doing. I liked the business. I liked the ins and outs of it. And, and that kept me happy. And then I got over here doing this and I really like it. I mean, it's kind of, you know, had I not gotten into this and started to learn the personal branding and marketing stuff, we wouldn't be having this conversation right now. Cause Mike and I probably would have never started the podcast.
2: I really like um, your posts on LinkedIn. So when you're asking questions like financial questions, I actually i i read those all the time because i'm i'm learning. Yeah. So I appreciate that you post all of that because that's part of my own my own little education. Well, oh, understand how how your world works.
0: If that tickles your fancy, we do uh, live sessions now. Well, right now, we're just on Facebook and YouTube live, but we're we're starting to do um, live sessions on i guess i'm plugging myself now but monday wednesdays and fridays at 12 we do live sessions like 12 eastern it, uh yeah we call it so it would be nine o'clock your time but we call them us that wealth live or we're still but that's the other thing that i learned too right you cannot wait till everything is perfect to go out and start doing things because if you do it'll never happen um you have to get out there and start doing it. And like Mike and I did with this podcast, we're like, well, I, I hate the way my voice sounds when I hear it played back to me. And, and we had all these, you know, apprehensions about this. And we we're like, you know what, fuck it, let's go out and just do it anyways. And, and we'll see what happens. And and now we have all of our, our friends and stuff. We're like, Hey, yeah, listen to that. That was a good episode. I, I like that. And, and since i got past that barrier and that's for me you know if somebody were to be like what do you want to do i'm like i the entrepreneurial lifestyle was absolutely for me i have a hard time you know it's hard for me to work for somebody else and take orders from somebody because i just that's how i am it's my personality type right i'm the guy that pushes the button that says do not push simply because it says (laughs) do not the only reason I'm going to push it is because it says not to. And Mike can attest to that. Like
1: absolutely. (laughs) uh,
0: You know, so that was something that we both kind of learned together, right? I I just we were like, let's just go out and do it. And who cares if it's perfect or not? Because it'll the only way you're going to get perfect is never, but you'll get better with practice. Um, it's private
2: fashion.
0: Yeah. Mm -hmm. And and I've actually really enjoyed this because we've gone out and talking to a bunch of people and I've learned a lot of stuff. And, uh, you know, that's who I work with in my business is, is folks that are transitioning out of the military. And so I love having other people come on this show because now I learn stuff that maybe if I'm talking to somebody and they have a problem, I'll say, hey, let me introduce you to this guy who, who does this, right? This is what he specializes in. I'll send you an intro on LinkedIn, and maybe he can help you solve that problem. Cause it's not necessarily something I do, but they're really great at it. And I actually did that uh, this week with um, another guest from the podcast. One of the earlier shows, I uh, had a question for me and I was like, I don't know, but I'm going to introduce you to a couple people that can absolutely help you
2: out. Awesome. And Mike, I loved your story um, about how you got into um, EOD when you saw the guys jumping out of the plane and you're like, I want to do that. Like, if only it were just that easy to be like, there, that's what I want to do. That's what I'm going to do. I love that story.
1: And, and trying to get over fears and which you amaze me with swimming open water like you do, because there is no way in hell I would do that.
2: <laughs> well, the key is that you don't like once you get in the water, you know that you are part of the food chain. You're you're no longer the apex predator. But the key is not to think about it. So you don't think about what's underneath the water. You acknowledge that there's some seals and sea lions. And for the most part, they'll leave you alone. I, I believe that. Like my was like an outlier. So as long as you don't think about where you are in the food chain and that there's other living creatures beneath you, you're good.
1: I've always been good <laughs> The scuba diving <laughs> part, I have never had a problem with. It's the surface swimming. I have just, I, I like going below. That way I can see things a little bit yeah. better. I got a little better. I, I think Word. it's like like the 3D. Now I can play in 3D where I feel if I'm a surface swimmer, I'm still playing in the 2D and somebody else is playing in 3D. I don't know. It, I think about things too much. Blend
2: that on Peter Benchley. Oh. Yes,
1: and the fact that I grew up in the late '70s with freaking Jaws playing all the time and hearing dun 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 dun, right? My my terrible rendition of that of that song. But <laughs> did you
0: ever see that picture of these people that are sitting in a lake in like inner tubes with a big screen, like a projector screen outside, and they're watching Jaws? I'm like, I don't know how the hell those people do that. <laughs> but no, I I guess you know. I had something similar to that, right? My first team leader, like a teammate of mine of Mike's um, Taylor, he, he said like, Hey, you know what, bro? Like we're all going to go sometime and you have no control over when it happens. And and I guess that's how, if, if I were to do something like that, that's how I would say, you know, that's how I was able to do like a, you know, a 25,000 foot. Hey, ho, you know, cause you're up there, you're nervous. People are, everybody's nervous, but it's like, well, yeah, hey, man, I'm either going to make it or I'm not. So, uh,
1: Then we had our our, our, our teammate that, that was uh, killed in Syria, Scott. That guy could jump out of planes all day long. But then when you put twin 80s on him and told him to go dive underneath the ship, because I was his dive buddy. I know for a fact I will testify in front of Congress over this one. That <laughs> dude could suck down twin 80s on a 20, not even a 20 foot dive underneath the ship, trying to search for limpet mines in, in a matter of 20 minutes. I mean, he was so nervous <laughs> under a ship, just scuba diving. He, he didn't want anything to do with scuba diving, but that dude would parachute all day long, but he didn't want anything to do with the water. And it was funny as can be. And the other thing was with Scott, I'll tell another funny Scott story. The dude was scared shitless of mice. <laughs> scared shitless. <laughs> there was one day when he was my teammate when Trevor and I were on the same team and, and Scott, we we're running a drill in four story and we we're running a mind strike drill, which is we're clearing a path of free of minds and, and Scott's down the path and I just hear Scott scream and he starts running towards me. Like somebody's chasing <laughs> after him with a machete. And you just hear him like, like a Richard Pryor skit, just cussing and screaming. I'm not going back down. I'm not going, I'm done. I'm not going back down. I'm like, And I thought he was messing with me. I thought it was part of the drill or part of a skit or something. I'm like, what's the deal, dude? There's a mice down there. There's a a mouse down there. There, I'm I'm glad you messed one up too. (laughs) Yeah, see? (laughs) It's the M words. (laughs) (laughs) Maxwell, mice, mouse. I got it. Uh, Yeah, he he was just... And he refused. I mean, he was dead set. Uh, He was absolutely... Not going back down and finishing this drill because he had seen a mouse, and that, that was it. Awesome. And there was nothing you could do to send him back down there, and I tried, and I'm like, okay. It's I, so amazing what
2: somebody's tolerance is. I mean, you guys, you jump out of airplanes, you dismantle bombs. P.S. And yet, you don't want to be in open open water, which to on, me the is, on the yeah, surface, on the surface, yeah. I'm not but, good with surface. Okay. On the surface because i like being below as well and he doesn't like mice which you know as long as they they're not crawling on me i'm i'm fine with it but it's it's so interesting what everybody's tolerance level is like for me i don't know that i would feel comfortable having to be the one solely responsible for the success of dismantling a bomb like i just don't think that i'm the qualified person in that situation
0: yeah well, it's, you know, I guess it's just your perspective, like how you go. I, you know, f- it's funny, Mike was talking about that. Like, I think the last communication I ever got from Scott was on Facebook. I found this video of this guy, like going through this abandoned barn and there's just like thousands of mice everywhere and everywhere he shines the light, they're scurrying everywhere. And so I tagged him on that. And the last thing I ever got from him, I had talked to him a couple weeks before he deployed and I was like, Hey, I'll see you when you get back. But the last thing I ever got was from him was like, you're an asshole.
2: <laughs> Which is beautiful.
0: And yeah. Right. That kind of brings a tear to my eye. Right. But that's, uh,
1: everybody has irrational fears. Mine.
0: I'll, I'll embarrass myself here. Like he, he until- was six foot
1: three, by the way, he's, yeah. he's, he's, he wasn't a small guy. He was about six, three.
0: Up until a couple of years ago, I always used to, like when I would go take a leak in the middle of the night, I would jump into my bed from like five feet away because it's the middle of the night and I'm all groggy. I had this irrational fear that a werewolf was going to grab my feet if I stood right next to the bed and pull me under the bed. And I know that's stupid. (laughs) That was just like one of those things. I don't know why, but every night I would jump into my bed from like five feet away until... The other person that sleeps in the bed with me was like, Could you stop doing that? (laughs) And I was like, Yeah, okay, I guess uh, it's time to get over that. Right. But no,
1: (laughs) I have something similar with keeping my fingers under the covers because I'm afraid some monster is going to come and take my fingers off in the middle of the night. Yeah. Yeah.
0: (laughs) And it's funny, like when you tell your kids, they're like, "Eh, I'm I'm afraid of something. I'm like, There's nothing in here. (laughs) So then you go get in bed and you're just like, (laughs) (laughs)
2: <laughs> so, <they're
0: not. laughs> Just make sure. yeah. so, hopefully mental health doesn't listen to this show well i don't i'm retired now so i'm, I'm good <laughs> <laughs> still gotta deal with the va yeah i guess brage what uh, and i know we're we're getting there close on time but what what advice do you have for somebody who's getting out of the military from a transition standpoint uh,
2: lots and lots and lots so first it's all about planning So you should be thinking about your transition at least two years out. So you don't have to be making like a solid plan, but you should at least have some idea of what you want that to look like. And then be able to start going through all of the different steps of putting together your your goals. What are your long-term goals? What are your short-term goals? What do they look like in terms of... um, how achievable are they? What do you need to do to get there? So, you know, if you're looking at a particular um, role or industry, do they require a specific degree? Do they require certifications? What does it take to get those certifications? Um, Will they pay for them if if you're part of the organization? So just kind of doing that due diligence so that you have an idea of what it's going to take to get to where you want to go and then um, i'm you know i'm a project manager at heart so you know if if your terminal date is say june 1st so we start working from june 1st backwards um, of all the different things that that you need to be thinking about and planning for um, including your family so you know, your spouse is transitioning to whether you acknowledge that or not. And so they need to be factored into that overall equation, because if they're working and you want to relocate, so what does that mean for them? Or if um, you don't want to relocate, but you're not sure what you want to do, what does that mean for them while, while you're kind of going through that um, that discovery process? So it's it's a lot of, of planning and, and thinking about where you want to be long-term and then looking at what are the steps you need to take to get there. Yeah. So that would be the first piece of, of thinking about it ahead of time. Cause I've had some guys where, where they've had, they've been, you know, like two and a half, three years out and they're like, I can't even think about it. I'm like, yeah, I think we need to start thinking about it. Um, and we stayed in touch over the course of time and we start building, you know, timelines and milestones and I think the cups of coffee and networking is so critical. And some people like to treat it like an Olympic sport, which I completely um, appreciate. But I think it also needs to be um, thoughtful and strategic and not just you know casting that wide net and just talking to everybody because it, it may not make sense for you to be talking to absolutely everybody. But there may be certain people that you do want to be talking to um, and, and making sure that you're getting in front of them. Um, and I, I think that starting out doing that, I think is, is going to be really important. And then if you're working with an organization or a mentor or a coach, then, you know, they'll also be the ones to help you, um, to, to really help you plan and to ask yourself sometimes some really hard questions, um, about what you want and what's important to you. And, I've heard more often than not that, you know, while they were in the military, the family always took a back seat. And now that they're getting out, family takes priority and that's what they want to be focusing on. So that's really great information to have because then that helps you identify what types of career paths are going to be good that's going to help you keep that balance with your family versus having to be, you know, a road warrior where you're living out of your suitcase and you see your, your family, you know, three days, you know, out of the month. And so those are all different kinds of, um, really important things to be thinking about and questions to be asking yourself.
0: Yeah. I, I like that you said 24 months. Um, I I've heard people say, oh, you really only need six months. I'm like, no absolutely not.
2: (laughs) I had a coach say that to me and my heart just started to pound. And I'm like, you don't really believe that. Do you? And he's like, well, if they're squared away, it should be fine. And I'm like, Oh no, 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 no
1: No. No way. (laughs) Oh gosh. I can't even imagine that. I mean, I'm right inside of five and it feels like I've been doing this for quite a while. And I now at five, it feels like I still have a lot of stuff to do and I've still been i try to be to the left of a lot of things and my VA stuff is, you know, fortunately for me, I've got a really great VSO and that's rolling along just fine. And, you know, all the other stuff seems to be on track, but it's still five months is going to come very quickly. And it does.
2: And, and you bring up a really good point is um, factoring in all of your VA medical stuff before you get out that in and of itself, not like I need to tell either one of you, is a time suck all by itself, and so you need to be able to focus on that and, and you know cross your T's dot your eyes so that you can get that taken care of before you get out. In addition to you know doing your due diligence and talking to people and kind of working through you know what you want your transition to look like. It's it is a lot, and there's also the possibility, and I've seen this happen several times. In fact, one of the guys that I was working with. This did happen. He was sure he wanted to go into um, into finance, and so you know we spent a lot of time planning that pathway for him. And then he starts talking to some other people, and he finds that um, you know sales is what really lights his fire and you know propels him out of bed in the morning. And it's a complete pivot, but that's all part of the process and so even if you think you know what you want to do build in some time to really explore it because sometimes in theory it's not what you think it is and you may find something that really does propel you every day and allow yourself the time to have that kind of exploration
1: yeah i think that's one of the great things about the skill bridge program too is is just really allowing people the time to go and do that and discover that piece. And like with the, the previous episode, we just recorded the, that guest did a skill bridge and said, Nope, not for me. I'm going to do something else. And you know, 85% of the folks who do skill bridge get a job offer and continue on or something like that. I believe was the statistic we got a few months ago on it, but he, I, I was like, Oh man, we finally found the 15% and I've been looking for the 15% and it was great to hear, the you know somebody that was like yeah you know it's not for me I I've, I found you know it's a discovery it's always it's always a constant discovery and and yes. that was a, that was a great example of that and at the cost of what just a little bit of time and not getting yourself into something you know like in your case going going to school getting accepted or getting accepted to a program going through you know countless amounts of money and time and schooling and getting into a field that you're miserable in the living conditions and, you know, that types of things. And you're like, oh my God, how did I get into this? Whereas, you know, he got, he was fortunate enough, did a skill bridge, not for me, pivot to the next thing or, or get to, you know, go do these other opportunities that were afforded as veterans. I think it's so important that folks take advantage of these opportunities or, you know, that they, they have available to them.
2: There's so many different resources that are available for for transitioning, which I think is wonderful because when I first started doing this, there was absolutely nothing. Um, And so it's it's nice to see that there's a a lot of support um, within the space now to, you know, that will support the the transition and the freedom to to make a lot of these kinds of um, decisions. Because yeah. you, you're right, you really do need to to explore, and I really like the SkillBridge program for a number of reasons. Um, one is it it's almost like, and I, I hope that Matt and Chris Thorn will forgive me when I say this, but it's kind of like trying on bowling shoes. You know, you you wear the shoes for a while, and you they're comfortable or they're not comfortable, and then you can give them back in, and exchange them. And with SkillBridge, you've got a finite amount of time within this particular company, in this particular role. You learn what it's like to work in a corporate setting, whether it's a large company or a smaller company. Um, you understand um, office dynamics and culture and, and what that looks like. And to your point, it's it's really about um, discovery and either this particular company or this particular role isn't for me, but I really like this piece of it. And so now I wanna go find another company. And now you've got that foundation of, of experience that now you can offer that company to be like, I've got this. Or um, like you and, and Trevor, like you know that you know being in an office is not your gig. And so you give the, the bowling shoes back. Thank you very much. They were very comfortable while they lasted. And we move yeah. on, and you find exactly what it is that that does matter to you. Yeah, and that's one more piece of experience that now you bring as a coach to to the folks that you're working with.
0: One other perspective, since we're talking about that, real quick, uh, I I sat in like how I learned about SkillBridge was through John McCaskill. I sat in on an informational session one night, and they had um, a guy there who was a commanding officer of the Oceana. Air Station, Um, one of the biggest, you know, military air bases in the world or, you know, in terms of tenants. But he said, hey, you know, I want to go look at this hospital and apply for a job there. And they said, well, you know, you don't really have any experience in this working in this field. But, you know, he found out about Skillbridge and he had talked to somebody afterwards and they were like, yeah, I mean, had we known about that program? You could have come in, worked here for six months, and that would have fulfilled, like, you know, the one, the one reason that we didn't hire you. That would have taken care of that. Um, and I was like, "Huh, oh, that's that's an interesting perspective." It, it, because that's that's a, another great a piece of that is it's no cost to the company, but you get a lot of compensation out—not in money, but in experience—that maybe helps you go out and land another position somewhere. So.
2: The other thing is that even on the the SkillBridge website, um, the DoD website, they they list all the companies that participate. But my understanding is that there are other companies that do participate that are not on the website. And I also understand that if you if you really want to work for a specific company and they don't necessarily participate in SkillBridge, it's they can. You can approach them and, and ask, you know, do you participate in SkillBridge and and if they, you know, if you've got the relationship and you really want to work there, they can make that happen. That's so, completely
1: true. The the so skill bridge that I'm say, doing is I, I had to I worked with the CEO and we walked through the skill bridge certification with them. And then it, it so you probably wanna if someone were to do that, let's say they they went somewhere and they approached the employer and said, you know, would you consider uh, opening up a skill bridge opportunity for me to come in, and participate here and they were on board with it, then you would want to probably buffer in a probably I would say two to three months, three months probably is is more than enough. And then work with the folks there's uh the contact up in Richmond for the state of Virginia. And they can they'll walk that organization through the certification process and, and they do ethics and training there's reporting and things like that that they have to do so yeah. to ensure it's legitimate and, and to make sure that they're doing the right things and that it's a worthwhile skillbridge opportunity if they're not on that list but you could, it, you're like like you said it's the skillbridge uh, program it's almost endless it's what, it's what you want to do, what do you want to do and, right. and, and it's up to the person, the service member to go out and pursue that and to make it happen. They have to be ambitious, just like, it's just like getting the job, you know, it's just like getting that next career, going out and getting that skill bridge is really no different. You know, I mean, you, you can even go look at that list. And even if you see something on that list, you still have to go out and pursue and, and, and seize that opportunity for that skill bridge from that certain company that's on that list. You just can't go and you know, Oh, Hey, I, I'm next on the list. Like you do when you go get a haircut, you know, I, I'm next on the list to go get it. the skill bridge, you know, here I, I'm, I'm gone. That's not the way it works. You still go get interviewed. You still all that stuff. So, right. yeah, it, it's not, it's not an easy process. It's just the same as getting a job, but you're still working for the military. That's the way I looked at it. And, and, and um, yeah, it, but it's, it's, it's hands down. It's probably one of the, one of the best, transition programs I think the DOD offers right now.
2: I, I, I love it. My company, we're very active in Skillbridge, so I'll do a little plug for my company. So I work for, a, um, for AbbVie, which is a, <clears throat> excuse me, a, a Fortune 500 pharmaceutical company that, as we like to call it, Big Pharma, um, that's based in Lake County, Chicago, not far from the Great Lakes Naval Base. And um, it's I'm, in, I'm involved in, in our veterans employee resource group, um, working with the skill bridge, uh, interns that come in and helping them transition and being that supportive network for them so that they can learn and acclimate. And, um, I, you know, we, we've hired several of the interns that have gone through, um, the program. They really enjoy it. There's so many different opportunities at a large company. So for pharmaceutical development, like don't be. I'm going to do another plug to bring people over to the dark side, but don't be put off by the fact that it's research because there are so many different areas within the company where you, you don't need to have a science degree, you don't need to have an advanced degree. Um, you know, we've got finance, and we've got outsourcing, and we've got IT, and we've got security, and and not just the physical security, but you know, cybersecurity and making sure that our, um, you know, all of the logistics and supply chain make it to all over the world and um, project management and operations. And, you know, I mean, I could go on and on and there's opportunities in just about every department. In fact, I'm working with my leadership to find opportunities um, in the research area that I work in because, you know, the dark side and it's, it's great. And it's, it, they're valuable skills no matter where you go and what company you're you're working with you are gaining valuable skills that you can take anywhere whether it's for yourself starting your own business or going to another company
0: yeah i my I, two I, cents i'm i'm glad it's there but uh guys i was going to say i have to wrap it up i got a um i got a trip down to to the beach i gotta make but um Brage, oh, i'm so a- sorry Oh, no, you're good. I, I love that when people get into it and start talking about stuff. I, I love that. So any other organizations you want to give a shout out to before we hop off here?
2: I really want to give um, a plug to the Navy Special Operations Foundation, um, specifically the transition pillar, because that's what I'm that's my special happy place. And um, there's a, um, a button on the, the website where you can request transition assistance. So if you're even thinking about your transition, I highly, highly, highly recommend that you request assistance, and it'll most likely come to me because I'm the crazy person. But you know, we can start planning and and talking about what that looks like for you, and take a look at the Honor Foundation, the Commit Foundation, um, American Corporate Partners, as you know, to have a mentor assigned, um, but really explore you know what what you want to do on the other side, and then plug into these organizations that can help you plan and plot and get there.
0: Absolutely. And of course I, I like all those same organizations too. Um, Bridge, thanks for coming on the show. We really appreciate you having spending some time with us. And, oh my God. Uh, it's
2: so fun. I yeah, can talk to you guys all day long.
0: I know. I was, I was, I was looking at that. I was like, Oh man, I could stay on here longer, but I, I really got to run. So we appreciate you coming on and, and sharing some time with us.
2: Thank you so so much. This has been such an honor and a privilege for me. I, I can't tell you how much I appreciate it. So thank you.
1: Yeah, thanks for coming on. We're definitely gonna have to do this again. This this was fun. Yeah. All right, Bridge Garofalo.
0: I said it wrong the first time. I got it right the second time. I'll say my name again, Maxwell. I said that right too. So good,
1: good job. Th- good job. Thanks
0: a lot. Appreciate it. We'll talk to you again soon. Take care, guys.
2: Thanks, guys. Have a good weekend.
1: You thanks
0: too. you too. Thank you for listening to the get to vet podcast. Make sure you subscribe to our channel and follow us on LinkedIn. If you'd like to come on the show, email us at mikeortrevor at get2vet.net. That's get, the number two, vet.net. And let us help you
1: get to vet.